and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for whether it's 26 degrees or 29 degrees or 32 degrees or 45 degrees, because after all, it's your podcast and it's hot and it's a bit sticky and I'm not really a big fan of it because, as you can tell, I'm Scottish. But, uh, you know, that's that that's how it be, basically. But joining me today, um, he's a bit of a ponderer. He likes to maybe sit around and kind of cogitate the various different parts of the cardboard. It is the one and only Mark Davis from the Thoughtful Gamer. Hello, sir. Hello. Wow, that was that was that that's that's a fairly accurate introduction. I just <laughs> I do I do sit around and think too much. <laughs> so, so Some people call it procrastinating. I call it brewing my thoughts. I I think um, there's not enough thinking going on. I think if there had been a little bit more thinking going on, then things would have turned out a little bit better. Or you could be Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I'm more Winnie the Pooh. I just stand there and think I'm thinking. But I think if I just stand there and go think, <laughs> think, 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 and then I get a thought, my little ear pops up and I'm ready to go. Um, for people that haven't joined us before, and they're probably going, oh my word, what? Well, guys, at least it didn't take you four and a half minutes to do a sync on your podcast. Um, the reason that we do this is because we think there's quite simply there's not enough podcasts out there about a bit board gaming. There's obviously ourselves. There's you know the Scottish contingent, Unlucky Frog, and there's Brainwaves, and there's us, and there's probably hordes of other ones. I think I never check iTunes at all to see if there are. Another reason that we do this is. Um, we like to get content creators on to have a chat with us about themselves and how they got into the hobby. And um, me and Mark, as normal, this has been something that we've been kind of planning on and off for, what, months? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It has. It has. It's just like stained. It's been a while. And then, um, well, I, I realized today that I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> like I should, I should listen to one of these podcasts. Like what? Are they, what's it about? And then so I got, I, I, I listened to. I've been crazy busy though, and yeah. so in between like wrapping up a review and uh, before recording another podcast that I'm posting today, a real quick one because I'm leaving out of town for the weekend. I got about ten minutes of. Uh, your last episode, and I'm like, okay, this is my kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. It's nothing better than somebody that's done the research, I think. I always yeah. prefer people to come in blind, because usually I find that people that have listened to a couple of episodes all of a sudden make really good excuses as to why they can't turn up for the show, which is always Well, I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to be like a bunch of... Well, maybe there are, because again, I only got about 10 minutes in. <laughs> Like, is this going to be like one of those super slick, like highly, uh, highly controlled ones? But it seemed pretty chill. So I was good. potentially thinking halfway through of sticking my arm under my arm armpit and doing the fart noise. But yeah. we'll see how we'll see how we go. Basically, um, so this, this is called suspense. Now they're going to be waiting for it. It's never going to happen. And if it does, I'm going <laughs> to only edit half of it in. So they're going to go, oh, here we go. And oh no, they've just been disappointed. Um, one of the things, I have no idea where I was going with that. One of the things that we like to do in the show is we like to find out a little bit more about our wonderful, fabulous guests, a little bit about their history, 
with the pressed and the printed trees. So to start things off, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby, I guess, as a start? In, into modern board games or into... Just anywhere. How anywhere? You yeah, just playing board games. Uh, I mean, I, I, like any like any kid, I enjoyed I enjoyed games. Uh, growing up, nothing ton to note there. I really got into modern board games when I went to college. I had played Catan, I think, before I went to college, and I thought it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of vaguely heard about this like new kind of board game, these Euro games that do things differently. But I didn't have much of an understanding. Most, almost all of my time in high school was spent doing debate. All right. Yeah, and then in college, uh, I played Dominion for the first time, and that's what really hooked me. Specifically, this one game where a friend of mine, where you know, it was the base set of Dominion, and it was a game with Chapel, and all Dominion players know that Chapel is probably the most significant card in the game. But yeah. You kind of have to understand concepts of deck thinning and, and efficiency and those kinds of things before you understand why it's so important. And I first saw the card, I'm like, that seems useless. Why would I want to get rid of my cards? Hmm. And then he built this this deck that went through his whole deck every turn and <laughs> just demolished us, and it blew my mind. And then that's if there's any point where I got hooked into modern board games, it was that point where I suddenly, like, it was like a paradigm shift in my brain. It's like, oh, okay, that's what these games are about. It's it's some really interesting, in-depth, strategic stuff here. And then played a variety of games on and off in college. Um, but did Dominion, you keep up with the de- Did you keep up with the debating? Because you kind yes. of went, you said did debating. So what, I mean, are you are you just one of these guys you can give a topic and if you give you like a, a half a day, you can come back and just come up with any kind of argument? Or, I mean, well, that's, that's fascinating well, to me because I'm well, not... Well, they're, they're different styles of debate. So in high school, I did what's called policy debate where you have the uh-huh. same topic for the whole year. So it's very research intensive and that's why it took up all my time. Uh-huh. In college, because, you know, you have more important things to do like college uh (laughs) most policy debates not quite as popular uh what's popular is parliamentary debate where you're given the topic 10 minutes ahead of time um everyone is and then you get 10 minutes to prep you usually can't even go online uh to do research it's just based on what you know based on kind of common knowledge facts and you go in and debate it uh, so I did two different types of parliamentary debate in college, which I found very, very fun. What kind of stuff are you doing? Does somebody come up to you and say, okay, um, we're discussing staples versus paper clips for holding paper together. Who want you get staples, you get paper clips, and then you kind of, that's it, you get your 10 minutes and you go. I mean, do you have light ones or do you have quite heavy ones? It's like, all oh, uh, dogs should be painted green, you know, kind of thing. In the leagues I participated in, they're almost always philosophical or, or political. Mm-hmm. Do you get like, um, so were, I mean, were you given stuff that you had to debate which you necessarily didn't agree with the point but still had to kind of argue your kind of way through that as well? Was that oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I'm more comfortable debating. Well, there's a difference between like 
debating something that you definitely agree with. That's one thing. Yeah. Debating something that you're just like completely opposed to is difficult. But most of the time you're kind of in the middle with arguments that you understand are reasonable. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So maybe you ultimately would not side on the side of that argument, but you can, for me at least, it was still relatively easy to say, okay, this is a reasonable argument. I know how to make the argument Mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of push aside whether or not I agree with it because it's about articulating it well and understanding the argument and the counterpoints and all that and, and, and understanding how to navigate that. Towards the the last year I did debate in college, my third year there, mm-hmm. we didn't we did mostly what's called world style or British parliamentary. All right, okay. Which is really interesting because there are four teams instead of two. And oh. so there are two teams on each side and instead of just having a winner and a loser, you're ranked. So that adds a whole new layer of strategy where you're trying to win the debate but you're trying to do it in such a way that you're better than the other team on your side. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of like, God, dogs should be painted green because of this. And they says, well, dogs should also be painted different shades of green. And they're like, damn. Yeah. No. And so there's all kinds of strategy with, if you're the first team on your side, you need to present a very, kind of broad level argumentation that covers all the main points because if you leave off an important argument that's ground for the other team you want the other team to kind of just be repeating what you said because you'll you'll get credit for that because it was it was first your argument and then if you're the second team on your side you want to kind of establish your own ground and then shift the entire debate towards your points so it I found it really fun because it's really strategic on not only just winning the debate, but on kind of navigating multiple layers of strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did you end up in situations where do you start to know the other people that you're debating against and debating with and certain people had always kind of given tactics and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, we got, I mean, our, we were a pretty good school in terms of debate so we knew mm. we knew kind of the other teams we'd really want to watch out for there was a team from cornell that just had far and away more uh international knowledge uh so you know international relations and foreign affairs stuff than mm. we did so we hated going against them but if they were there on our side we would try to kind of subtly steal facts that we didn't know from them and then build arguments off of that because they just knew more than us. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, you know, every time you hit Yale, it's a rough time or sometimes we'd hit a Harvard team. So we kind of knew the tough yeah. teams to watch out for and how to kind of do our best to, to get up there. Cause sometimes if you get, you know, if you have one of the top teams in the country on your side, you can, if you do it right, you can kind of ride them up and just get a one-two finish, and you're fine yeah. taking the second place there. <laughs> it's still a win. Uh, this sounds like I mean, this sounds like it's uh, really could get really really competitive. I mean, did you switch people around? I'm, I mean, I find this all fascinating because to me, this helps format your basis for what you're doing just now. Oh yeah, debate completely changed my life. Like. Man, when I think back when I was a kid, like, you know, there's always the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I went through so many answers through, like, you know, elementary, middle school. I want to be an architect or Mm. 
I want to be a zoologist because animals are cool. <laughs> or I want to be a I want to go into physics and then you know you actually take physics and you realize you're really bad at it. Yeah. But I don't remember what happened, and then debate happened, and it's like, whoa, I want to be a lawyer or a politician or something. And then you keep debating, and you realize you definitely don't want to be those things. <laughs> but but I gathered a lot of, I, I think, really helpful skills to where I've been kind of, you know, in adult life, I've been kind of been able to adapt to the circumstances I've been in. Yeah, yeah. So I take it you're you're not a lawyer or I'm, I'm my wife is though, <laughs> <laughs> well, and she was and we met on the debate team in in, in high school. Wow, so that she, must she ended that up doing for, it. Does that make for some interesting kind of cross words? I take it it's like if you have a oh yeah if you have an argument or not an argument because a disagreement, a difference of opinion. I mean that it, does that potentially go on for days? <laughs> No, what happens, no, we burn out really hot and fast. What happens is that we'll disagree on something and we'll get into a discussion about it and we're having a blast, but to everyone else around who hears it, they think we're really fighting. (laughs) Like they think we're really mad at each other. And then at some point we got into this good rhythm where we, we both understand where the point of disagreement is. Yeah. Which is usually, you know, just a matter of taste or different life experience or something. It's like, okay, there's where we disagree. There's the fundamental issue. And we'll both be like, cool. That was a good talk. <laughs> <laughs> and we've done this like on a road trip before with, wow. you know, with friends in the car. And they're like, what just happened? <laughs> we th- Cause it's like, it's Cause they were, pro- we didn't realize they were just kind of hiding away. Like, oh man, we're, we don't want to get in the middle of this fight, but we were having a blast. Oh my word! I could just imagine that because usually it's just like there's like I mean, first of all, there's calm talk, but then later on, there's running and screaming, and, <laughs> and it's not that like, bad. But you know, we get loud and excitable because we're having a lot of fun with it. And at the end, you just high five. Just yeah. Go, yeah, that's that. That was that's that was a good one. Now, I just as I say, I just find that um, I just find that kind of whole thing. So are you, I mean, I mean, going into the kind of the gaming stuff. Because we have to talk about board games because it's a board game podcast. Um, but is that kind of an influence type of games that you're more likely to play? I mean, are you? I mean, are you into kind of like the more social stuff? Or I mean, do you like something that really kind of gets your brain kind of fired up, kind of thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I've I've thought recently of how I would cl- you know some people are like oh, I'm a Euro gamer or I like Ameritrash games or I like party games you know I've got a bit of everything the only kind of consistent not entirely consistent but a main theme in the games that I really like <clears throat> are the ones that marry the the mechanisms to the theme to create this kind of narrative. No. Um, so I guess that makes me kind of American style gamer, but I don't know. Like, would you like, is dominant species an American style game? I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of war game. It's a little bit of a trash and it's a little bit of Euro game. You know, it's what, yeah. it's one of my favorites, but I think it does that very well. So I tend to like heavier games. I tend to like thinkier games because kind of thinking through the puzzle of it is, is exciting to me. It's, it's, it's not, it's not mentally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like games like Scythe then where you're kind of almost building like a little engine that could 
Yeah, I like Scythe. Um, yeah, I like the planning ahead. I like... Those are the games I really like to play. Or, or that would rank as my favorite. The games that really fascinate me are the ones that are more political in nature. So, And by political, I mean that they're not just a puzzle. They're about navigating the other people playing. Yeah. So games like Archipelago, Churchill... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Triumph and Tragedy. I really like these games that are th- specifically three players. I think because you know they're not the greatest games of all time. I think they're really good, but I think it's kind of untapped ground. We haven't seen like the ultimate three-player game because it's so hard to do that because three players necessarily relies on this kind of walking the line of this very strange dynamic where you can't you can't make it so that two players can just gang up and eliminate the one because that makes a bad time for everyone you have to set up systems so that everyone's kind of working together and against everyone yeah yeah so those are games no. that fascinate me um although you know my, my favorite favorite games i think are just go beyond kind of genre or, or idea and just execute things very well is there stuff that you've seen quite recently that you would kind of like, you've want right, I I need to get my hands on this one because this looks kind of fascinating to me? Um, Not in that, not in that political sense. The games that I think are, that's the, the trend that seems to be very interesting are these more narrative games. So I keep hearing about Holding On. Yes. Which sounds absolutely fascinating. Fog of Love, I think is in some ways one of the most brilliant games we've seen in a long time because it creates it, it's it's a very introverted game in that all the action is happening entirely in the minds of the players yes no absolutely. it's like it's like if you were witnessing a game of fog of love you wouldn't see a whole lot but like the conflicts are all going in and going on in everyone's minds I think there's a lot of potential for that in board gaming. I think we're seeing a lot of it. Um, and I'm really, so holding on to the one that's coming out that I'm really fascinated to try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what about games like the kind of the, I guess the, what they get the, the funner games, like your kind of, um, the mind, for instance, I keep seeing that coming up again and again and again with a little uh. green bunny. And I'm kind of like, I don't, entirely get it but then I don't maybe get it because I maybe haven't played it but everybody that I know that plays it says it's fantastic and then they say well, is it? well it's about cards in an order and I was like and well that's kind of it and you're just like how's that amazing but then I guess code names was words on cards and that's pretty amazing you know so yeah the mind the reaction in the mind's been weird because you see there's a good group of people who are just absolutely head over heels with it. Like I was so surprised to see how exuberant shut up and sit down's review was. And then I've seen some people really hate it. I've played it. It's, I found it, it felt a lot like Hanabi. It was a really not, it's a, it's a novel idea in Hmm. some ways. It uses that novel idea to create something new that we haven't seen in games, but I think it has similar, metagaming problems as Hanabi where in order to play the game 
better, you have to really skirt right up to the rules of like what you can't do. Yeah. So you have to deliberately play the game worse in order to make the game enjoyable, which, you know, works for some people, but I thought it was fine. I thought I would play it again, but I'm not, I don't understand the exuberance for it. I think, I think it'll yeah. fade, you know, in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, for those listening, do you want to? I mean, do you want to give us a quick two minutes about what you do? I mean, it is numbers; it's putting numbers into a sequence. But you're you're basically um... yeah. So you, you the game's a deck of cards from one to ninety nine, and you you start. Everyone gets one card, and without communicating to each other, you just have to lay the cards in sequence from lowest to highest. And so the idea is that you're using pauses and silence and time to kind of communicate the information where you can't explicitly communicate anything i actually haven't read the rule books it was taught to me verbally so i don't know precisely what is and isn't allowed i was told effectively there's no certainly no verbal communication and no nonverbal communication other than not doing something which i think is probably the intent of it and then you just kind of have to wait. So if you know you you're in that first round and you got the twenty five, you know you might be the first one to lay down, and so you kind of wait until you think, okay, I'm probably the lowest number, and then you play. And then as you go throughout each round, you get more cards per person. You don't um, sound conv- you don't sound convinced. Well, the thing As is, in you don't sound convinced that you said, yeah, well, it's you know I played the mind. I can put, I can tick the box that says I played the mind and. If it was a choice between the mind and something else, I might potentially pick kind of something else. Oh yeah, there are a lot of games I would pick over it, but you know, it, it created when we played it created some some moments of excitement where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there was some tension and some waiting and people had a lot of cards and then someone threw the thirty eight and then someone's like, Ah, I had the thirty seven and that's exciting. Yeah. And you know, that's inherent in the game is the suspense, which I think is the best part of the game because it's it's classic suspense. You you know some information, but not enough. You don't know the critical information, and it's using the time, the pause, to kind of draw that out. The problem is that people really easily, I think, fall into this kind of ritualizing the pause, right? So you, you start, like, silently counting amongst yourself, or, you know, you get someone throws it way quicker than you think and, and you chastise them for, oh, no, that there's no way. And then, so you have to kind of, as a group, ritualize what the silence means when the game works best when you don't know what it means. Yeah. Which, which again, is the same thing as Hanabi. Like, Hanabi is a really novel concept and it's really fun the first couple of times, but at the point at which you start creating all these, like, implicit meta rules, you're just playing out the game. You're not you're playing the game better, you're getting more mm-hmm. points, but mm-hmm. you're not experiencing what the game is designed to give you in terms of an experience quite as much. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to take, say, two or three groups that will play the mind and then mix these people in amongst the three groups. Oh, yeah. Them out and see, see how they would play. Because I reckon it'd be like, um, people always talk about Pandemic being like a solvable puzzle. And mm-hmm. it's prone to quarterbacking, and the best way to deal with that is to actually um, 
the person that's played it before has to sit down and not say anything at all. <laughs> they have to they have to take the silence card basically mm-hmm. and promise it. And it'd be interesting to see if you're winning a particular group and if you you change that dynamic, how people kind of then react if the kind of the quarter if the uh, the quarterbackers come off the bench and and try and take over or try and lead, and that would be that would kind of be kind of cool kind of cool as well. It'd be an I interesting mean, uh, it'd be an interesting experiment, but. The other problem is you have is if the if the group is too off sync, you just fail very quickly, and that's the opposite problem. The game loses all suspense. Right? It yeah. only it only works if you're playing in terms of skill, like not great but not poorly. It only works in that middle zone where you're close enough to fail sometimes and maybe lose a couple because there's like a life system. You don't. It's not one and done necessarily. Yeah. But you have a lot of close calls and stuff. That's that's where it works. But you can only hold on to that moment for so long. But it's also maybe the case because you sound to me like you're a person that would rather sit down and negotiate through something. I can imagine you thoroughly enjoying something like Dead of Winter, for instance. I still haven't played that one. Just okay. Let's stop the podcast. <laughs> it's been on my <laughs> list to play off. forever. <clears throat> Man, I'll s- have you got it? No, I don't. I don't own I will it. S- I will send you it. Well, I love Battlestar Galactica, and I always heard it was fairly oh. similar. So I never mm. felt too much of a need to get it. I think it's worthwhile playing just to say that you have experienced it, because yeah. I think again, it's one of these things. Is depending on the group that you have, you can it can go down the line of being: is there a betrayer? Is there not a betrayer? Or is there that kind of tension? And you can basically not decide either way that whether you're going to play with a betrayer or not and then you end up with this kind of fascinating kind of build up of tension that goes all the way through the round until the until the you're kind of coming to the resolve phase we try to figure out if everything's been successful or not and you still don't know if there's a betrayer and it's just it's a really really tense game and um when you had john gilmore talking about it it's like the zombies are almost the it's almost they're not necessary necessarily the biggest requirement in the game because the biggest danger is everybody else that's around you as opposed to the kind of the the brain munchers kind of outside mm-hmm. yeah yeah which is always <coughs> you know which is thematically how zombie any kind of zombie media needs to work because zombies yeah. are about the most boring antagonist possible <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, have you quite have you got quite a reasonable kind of collection? And is your collection kind of kind of grown? I mean, you t- obviously you talked like Dominion and Dominion kind of set the fire beneath you. Have you got quite a substantial kind of game collection? Are you the type of guy that is just you know I've got three hundred games, I got five hundred games. Are you the type of the guy that goes look? It's seventy five. Then we're kicking we're we're kicking guys out and replacing them with kind of different games I'd rather play. Uh, I I always feel like I lose a tiny bit of credibility as a reviewer when I'm like I have I have like eighty games I think that I own as a group because mm-hmm. there's me um, uh, Orion who's on the on the Thoughtful Gamer podcast a lot. Yeah. Um, we we live in the same apartment. We share an apartment. Ben, who also lives with us at the moment, um, so all of our games are combined, and we have maybe over a hundred. Matt, who's also on the podcast, lives nearby, and some of his games live here. Yeah. So in the apartment right now, I think we have a hair over a hundred. But 
I haven't gotten to the point where I felt the need to do like a one in one out thing. I do have a, a, a shame closet because we've lost. I'm call, I call it the shame closet, but we've lost space on the bookshelves, and there's no more room in the. Game. Is that what happens when people misbehave in the apartment? It's like, what did you do? What did you do? Well, I need to go and think about what you did. Well, it's, you it's what happens it's when, when games misbehave. Uh, no, we just <laughs> lost room in, the, in our game shelves. Like, I need more shelves, but I don't have any room to put the shelves anywhere. So oh, no. there's a closet here in, in my little office uh, that is piled with games that we don't play anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I have about 100 combined. Ownership is kind of nebulous because we all, we all live together. Yeah. Do you, I mean, have you played them all? Have you got through them all? I have... Oh, I just wrote this out, actually. I think I have about six or seven that I haven't played. All review copies, I think. That's... Um, oh, no. That's, um, not all review copies. There, I, I, did, I, did buy a, I did buy a couple of games in the Asthma Day sale a few months ago that I haven't played. Well, that's fine. That's fine. That's not, I mean, that's perfectly acceptable. I have seen people that you've got, like, shelves and shelves and shelves of games, and I'm just, like, going... Um, you've not played all of those. I know you've not played all of those. Because <laughs> I'm going to see in three months' time you're going to be like selling a whole pile of them on the board game, kind of trading stuff. I mean, I'm the sell. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the same myself. I mean, we're um, still packing to move house, and uh, I sold a whole pile of games, and I was pretty strict to say, well, these ones have to go, just because. Um, they've sat around for two, you know, a year, two years, and they haven't came kind of been brought to the table, or they've been brought to the table once, and have no desire to kind of bring them back again. And it, I guess, was it who's I listening to? I think it was um, board games in bed. We're talking about being a board game player and being a board game collector. That you do get some people out there that they have five or six hundred games and they're quite happy to have five or six hundred games because that's what they do. They like all the new and shiny but they like to just have it and then you do get some people that are quite adamant that they're very strict and they only have like a certain number of games but they make sure everything kind of gets to the table kind of like on a regular on a regular type basis. Yeah, I'm, I'm more towards the player. I have a bit of collector in me but it's not it's just a tiny bit. I'm at the point now where like, of, like, the classics, I guess, or the games, you know, it's weird to say classics. I mean, like, games that are more than, like, four years old. Yeah. I've played or own the ones that I really care about among that group. And there's a list of games that are like, oh, I, I really feel like I should play these games, like like Dead of Winter. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point it's like okay what i'm really looking for is sure if someone offers me a review copy and it looks interesting i'll take that if there's a game like holding on that it's like okay that's something new and interesting and fascinating and it's trying to say something new and interesting i'll try to get a copy of that and then games where people are just raving about them so I heard great things about Spirit Island, so I made sure to go, you know, make sure I grabbed a copy of that, and it ended up being incredible. Anything new from, like, Vital Lacerda I'll probably pick up, because his games have been consistently amazing. So, like, I'm looking for, like, innovation and then, like, real excellence, and I've gotten my fill of, like, yeah, these games are good, but they didn't blow my mind. I don't feel like I need to, like, go out and buy more games that could be that when I'm really looking for something 
novel and interesting and unexpected. In terms of, I mean, how do you go from you kind of playing games to you actually starting to kind of create create quite create content? It's just a rubbish thing. Oh, it's the worst, isn't it? There's there's no there's no good substitute for that phrase, though. I know. If you, what do, did you do, what did you do today? I created some content. You know, in my nappy, daddy. Can I, you know, it just it just sends the worst. But then, what else are you meant to say? When did you, when did you start to take your thoughts regarding the board game genre and place them into a, some kind of legible format that other people could enjoy your thoughts, Mark? There you go. <laughs> There's a nice succinct alternative. Uh, <laughs> exactly. We took fifteen lines. <laughs> I started the thoughtful gamer about. A year and a half? Almost a year and a half ago, I think. I've always been interested in this kind of thing, and by this kind of thing, I mean criticism, which sounds odd. Uh, There's a story I've I've told before where in high school, we're on the way to a debate tournament in the car with, you know, some other debaters we're carpooling with and, and my sister, and... For some reason, the topic came to me, like just like psychoanalyzing me, and they're like, "What's Mark gonna end up doing? Like after he goes to college, what's he gonna do?" And they, I was in the front seat, and they're talking amongst themselves, and like, "Okay, we figured it out. You're gonna be a critic." I'm like, "What? A critic of what?" And like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Just a critic. <laughs> <laughs> And it ended up being kind of true. And, and here you here you are. There I am. It's a and, bit and, awkward, and in, isn't it? And in college, for a little while, I briefly considered like really trying to be a film critic. So I love film and I love film criticism. But then I realized that, you know, that's just a dying thing. Like the internet's kind of killed film criticism. And so I chose board games, which is obviously much more lucrative. <laughs> I was gonna say when I mean when you first put the picture on and you were sitting there with um, obviously um, I saw your house and uh, there was the jacuzzi in the background and I noticed was that somebody trailing a horse through the house in the background as well one of the one of and our one of our many I, I can't remember. I just thought I just thought and you just said hold hold wait give me a second I'm just gonna put this wad of money down and you kind of took this roll of benjamin franklin's and just like i think you just chucked it away because you were like i've just got so much money i can't even talk about it it was a nuisance you know, it's just like you know if i if i got not, if i got to spend another 20 dollars on something rubbish i'm just gonna have to hurt somebody instead it's just not good to me anymore but um yeah i mean um but it's a multi, I mean, it's I a multi-billion up... dollar industry yeah somewhere <laughs> so, so i don't know who they are i mean among like three companies <laughs> Something like that. Exactly. Uh, but no, I fell in love with board games, and at some point, I, I was just like, I really want to look into this game thing. I want to go into design. I want to look at design ideas. It, you can't say like game theory because that's its own specific thing. But yeah, you know, theory about games. <laughs> uh, but. Because game theory itself is a completely different thing that's got. It's a, to do with it's board a subset games. of economics. <laughs> I mean, it kind of has to do with board games because it's a about it's about yeah. multi-person decision making. But anyway, all right, you're debating me right now, Mark. <laughs> I don't know that much no. about game theory. Actually, I, I did not take the optional game theory class. I watched I watched a film about it once. 
What a beautiful mind. <laughs> yeah, it's about yeah, yeah. a bar. It's about a bar and Russell Crowe. Yeah. And a guy, yeah, the guy that was in... <laughs> The guy that was in that Jim Carrey film. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm lost. <laughs> Help me. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, cr- okay. Board game criticism. Is there isn't such... Is there kind of a thing? Are we still kind of finding our feet with that? Because all the stuff that I read... And uh, I don't know. I'm an old grumpy old man. But I think that we're still finding our feet in terms of how people are writing about games... And there's still, I don't know, is there is there a lot of people still trying to establish themselves as a critic that they don't necessarily want to criticize? Would that be a fair point yeah. to me? Yeah. So, like I said, I, I got into film and film criticism just from reading boatloads of reviews. I've probably read every review Roger Ebert's ever done. I think he's... Yeah exemplary he's you know one of the best and i take a lot of inspiration from him in terms of kind of how i approach reviewing there's there's like two things that whenever i say criticism depending on the background of the person i'm talking to they think one of two things there's criticism in terms of like what roger ebert did with his movie reviews right you're yeah discussing the merits of whatever medium media piece you're talking about and then there's like academic criticism where you take like the, you know, like a feminist Marxist approach to whatever this thing is. And, and, and that can get very, very sp- specific. It's not consumer facing. So it's not, should I watch this movie or should I look at this game? It's, I'm going to take my academic theory and apply that lens to this object and then see what comes out. Mm-hmm. And I don't care a whole lot about the more academic one. I think it could be interesting. I think it often goes overboard. But I think there's some space there. But in the board game area, like, I think we have a ways to go to get to actually good, just consumer facing reviews. And obviously, you can apply all kinds of interesting stuff to that. And you can talk about experiential things and academic things within that that context but when i sat down i'm like okay if i did something if i did a board game thing what would it look like and what would i want it to be i'm like okay so you have like the dice tower they get they get as all the coverage they they do quantity which is great because if you you know sometimes you get a really obscure game and you're like i want to know what the heck this is about and they may be the only one who's covered it You've got people like Shut Up and Sit Down that do really good video stuff. And I I think, honestly, they're almost underrated as reviewers. I think they do a very good job in terms of good, what I'd say, quality criticism. But then everyone, like almost everyone else, seems to be along the lines of trying to do what the Dice Tower is doing, which is showing the game and then giving a brief snippet of what they liked and what they didn't like. Whereas I it works as if you're trying to get out quantity like that, but I think there's so much good writing and good, interesting discussions and thoughts that could happen. If you just try to do a more complete review, that's a bad way of putting it. I don't know what the word is, but if you do reviews from the perspective of I'm going to break down this game, understand it and communicate 
the experience I had with that game to the reader and try to communicate that both in a way that says whether or not they should consider buying it and also what does it mean to like the broader board games community or game design or what's interesting here or new here or what's wrote what doesn't work well what looks like uh what looks like it was just a, a band-aid i'm thinking of the last review i i, I posted a, a band-aid over a problem they had in game development that kind of deeper perspective where you're trying to really understand the game and communicate that to the reader i think there's not a whole lot of that and that's kind of where i tried to position myself and say okay we're going to do more high quality reviews yeah i mean i think there's um there's there's guys there's there's guys that do um really good stuff out there i mean rory rory j summers from board meetings and i constantly are banging the drum about this guy because he seems to have got it and the stuff that he writes is really really entertaining and it's fun and it's not kind of mechanics type based and i think you kind of get an emotional reaction from him when he's actually playing the game which is i think is really really important Mm -hmm. and i think um in terms of reviews in general it depends how the reviewer is getting fed Oh yeah, and what I mean by that is in cases of if, okay, I wrote, I okay, I wrote what I would call a type of review for Seals of Cthulhu, Sean Sean Epperson, yeah, and I said to him, I mean, me and Sean know each other, we're friends on Facebook, you know, I said to him at the time, like, I'm going to find it difficult to actually write a what I would concern consider a proper review for your game, because we know each other, and I think some people would go collusion, blah blah blah, etc. etc. Sure. So I took the view to say, I went and basically wrote a, a bit taking the mickey to say that for a game that's called Seals of Cthulhu, there's no seals in it. And make that what you will. And okay, the mechanics, it looks nice and blah, 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 but there's still no seals in this game. I'm looking for seals. So I had pictures of seals <laughs> through the review and I didn't have one picture of the game. You know, and that was fine. Um, somebody else who's reading that, who's looking to get a review done for their game, is probably not going to ask me to write a review for it. Yeah. For their game, especially if it's going on Kickstarter. And one of the things that people keep banging on at the moment on Kickstarter is, and you see that, it's like, you know, here's my game, it's called Light a Lamp. Um, here's the Kickstarter page. Oh, you've only got two reviews, mate. You know, you need more reviews. You definitely need more reviews. <sighs> Am I, or not reviews, but maybe preview stroke reviews, because I don't think you can properly review a Kickstarter game really until the final version is out in somebody's hands. I think you can give a really, really good impression. But if a game does really, really well, then the end up the end game is going to be completely different from the game that went out in the preview in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because there could yeah. be stretch goals involved and it could there could be a whole deck of additional cards that get added to the game in order to improve it. And I'm just thinking that at the moment there are a lot of people in servicing at the moment for the board game industry is all around. Yes, this is how the game plays and this is what I think about it. Because there's a lot of people that need that type of review for their Kickstarter stuff. There's a lot of people that make their buying decisions based on the Kickstarter stuff. And there's a lot of people that consider, uh, just because of how the industry is kind of going, with even the bigger titles still seem to be going on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. even if they could, you know, just get, you know, kind of published. Um, <clears throat> so I think there's less of the emotional critique about it. And also, board games are so subjective. I will probably not play the mind because I am in the camp of, 
I I'm not very good at communicating with people. But you know, mm-hmm. and, of, I mean, and when I'm playing a game, I'm just I'm just not good at. It. I'll just go like, I've got forty four, all right, and slam it on the table. Um, but I think you know, it's kind of getting that tie-in with the emotional type of review and how the game makes me feel because you can get two different people playing the same same game and have completely different kind of emotional involvements when it, when somebody actually gets a pure joy out of playing a game, and somebody else are like, well, I'm playing the mechanics and I guess I kind of have a fun time and I came third, so I guess it wasn't a dead loss kind of thing. Well, I think there's nothing like that's amazing. To me, that's that kind of conflict is great because then you have a really awesome potential for a great discussion there of why it didn't work for one person and why it did work for the other person. What doesn't work is if one person gives 10 minutes of overview and two minutes of, oh, I didn't like this game, and the other person Mm. gives... 10 minutes of, of how to play the game and two minutes of, oh, I really like this game, and neither of them explain really why, then you don't have yeah. a discussion at all. You just have yeah. two different opinions, which again is fine, but I think what good criticism does is it creates the discussion, and that's the goal. Like, I, I don't think I should be the final say on when what a game, like, if a game is good or not. Like, that... I'm already sounding too arrogant in this discussion. Anyway like right now, but no, no one should listen to me exclusively. What I hope and what I want people to come to the thoughtful gamer for is for them to read my review and then understand why I had the opinion I had, not that I had the opinion I had because then they've understood the game better. They understood me better and it can help contextualize other discussions they hear or have about the game. Yeah. And you're looking for a beacon, because at the end of the day, you're just you try to justify yourself putting down twenty five bucks or fifty bucks or seventy five bucks or a couple of hundred bucks, and you, people don't like to have the responsibility of their own actions. They always like to have somebody coming along and saying, "Yes, this is you are making the right decision here. This is a good, strong decision." go ahead and give that person your money because you shall enjoy this. And I think people gravitate towards certain types of critics as well. So I think oh, yeah. the reason, you know, I think the people that, you know, people will like shut up and sit down is because they're kind of, again, they're in a position where they've got maybe an established brand so they can actually say, they've got people saying to them, please review my game because I know if you do the job, then I'm going to get a lot of people are going to end up seeing and hearing about my game anyway. Um, so they've got they've they've worked as I, say, I keep saying to them a lot of respect for them and they've worked their asses off to get kind of where they are. So they have now the position where they can actually turn around and say, Do you know what, actually, um, this game I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, kind of thing. And they're quite, you know, they they've got that kind of little bit of power, that little bit of influence, so they can say, well, I don't. This is the reasons I don't like it. This is the reasons I had issues with it. This is the reasons I didn't think these mechanics work. And it doesn't. It isn't necessarily going to affect them as a reviewer. They're not going to all of a sudden get people saying, well, I'm not going to give you this game to review because you criticised this other game which everybody loved, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's going back. This kind of ties into. You're talking about kind of the Kickstarter culture where, oh, you didn't get enough reviews. Yeah. I've been talking about this for a while now and kind of bringing it up periodically. I think there's a fundamental problem in the board game world 
among reviewers and Kickstarter people and all that, where there's not a clear distinction between a preview and a re- and a review. There's no... Someone will go and do how to play, right? How to play this game, yeah. and people will call it a review. Even if they've never given... Even if they don't give their opinions at all about the quality of the game, they're not doing a review. They're showing you how to play the game. A review should be something without a conflict of interest, so you're not getting paid for it. You don't have, you know, you don't have uh, ties with the publisher or whatever, and you're giving your opinion about the game, and that's a review, right? Because that is the the fundamental distinction is that the point of a review is that it's serving the reader. It's not serving the publisher. How to play a preview, an overview, all that are part of the marketing for the publisher. And the point of those is to spread the word for the publisher. It's not necessarily to to tell the readers whether or not you should buy the game. It's just purely informational. And I think a lot of the problems that people have with reviewers and a lot of the weird Kickstarter culture stuff that goes on stems from there not being a very clear distinction between those two things when they are f- they should be fundamentally dif- distinct and different. No, I, I, absolutely. And so you get uh, to situations where people feel like they can't give bad reviews because, like you said, that maybe they'll get cut off or something. And that's, I think that's awful. That's, you know, maybe they, they, they decide to not give a review at all. You know, hopefully no, no one just flat out lies or something. I, I, I would hope not about whether or not they like the game. But, like, there needs to be a distinction. And Kickstarter, ideally, I think... People who are running Kickstarters, you know, send it out to reviewers. That's fine. But if you want, like, a list of people advertising your game for you, go out and get someone to do a how-to-play or just a preview instead of trying to get these kind of halfway in between reviews, previews, middle ground that doesn't really go either way. Um I'm stubborn enough where, honestly, at this point, I don't care if I do. I don't think I've been cut off or, like... Un- deconsidered from getting a review copy or something but like mm-hmm. but and that makes it from my perspective that makes it awesome where i can really fully support games that i love like uh uh what was it? sprawlopolis the kickstarter from from button shy the yeah you, yeah you familiar with the wallet games mm-hmm. like they sent me a review copy of that i was lucky enough to get one i thought the game was awesome and i think i had some influence in how well that kickstarter did um, but I was proud to do that because I legit think the game's really, really good. Uh, the, the one there, the next one they did, they sent me another review copy, didn't like it as much. They didn't put it on the Kickstarter, but on the Kickstarter page, but you know, I don't think they're going to cut me off from review copies, but I, I'm not going to not, I'm not going to hold back on, on my opinion there. And I think, no, I think it's important as you, you can end up in that other trap, which is you, you write a review and you say, "Well, of course your your mileage may vary." At the end, oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I've I've seen that, and I I cannot understand that because I I used to see it on video games all the time, which was the case of you know a game would score like a six or a seven, and the six or a seven just I don't know just I just does my face in to see that <laughs> because <laughs> it's like people saying, "Oh, that's quite bad," but then they're like, um, but. 
you know, if you're a big fan of the genre, then this is a game you should be going for. And you're just like, okay, but you've you can, you've kind of laid all the all the kind of the crap at the top to say all the reasons why it's fundamentally flawed. Then you give it like sixty percent, which if you got that in university or college, you'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and then say at the end of it, well, you know, it's 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 probably it's best for fans of the genre. And you're just like that kind of is so so average. Why did you write it? And that's I can't see anything. I did write stuff, and I you know I'm you know I'm probably not I'm not the best writer in the world. I'm aware of that, but I'm also aware of that I'm not the best writer in the world. So I'm not going to go for the kind of level of criticism that we do. I'd write nonsense, basically, <laughs> but I don't care because it's Greek. I, I understand that. I, I personally understand, as I say, when I wrote that um, kind of preview thing for Sean, because I knew people were reading it and I was hoping at the end people would click on the click Kickstarter and have a look and then make their decision from there, mm-hmm. which is fine. Because oh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's kind of the marketing and, and, and kind of publicity. It's just going to take time. I mean, my, my view on this is there's going to be stumbles on the road. And I reckon we're... You know, we're a couple of years away from um, Kickstarter itself is changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, um, Monolith is going to be um, selling stuff directly on Kickstarter now. <laughs> um, and I'm just like going, uh, excuse me, you know, baking powder. <laughs> um, it gonna, and it's, they're changing it into a, a kind of a pre-order store, which is, I'm going to, it'll be interesting to see if then there's going to be reviews written on that. Because that's not going to be help us fund it. That's going to be a case of you can now pre-order this. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to be see interesting kind of... I don't know if you saw that news. I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on that at all. I, I haven't, changing. but I mean, it seems inevitable. Like it's functioning as a pre-order system already, which I know bugs a lot of people, I think. But I I don't know. It seems fine to me that it would. Yeah, I think Mono... It's yeah, probably it good out. if they're transitioning to like a strict pre-order system. Let them... Let them finally kind of admit to it and, and go all the way. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I think, is this not the time for them to start sectioning things off then? Because they will have, here's your pre-order section. Oh, yeah. And you will get people that will just say, well, okay, I'm going to go and pre-order the next kind of monolith game and that's how I'm going to do it. Or the next, however, whether it be, because you don't know if the other bigger guys are going to, going to follow suit. If this is going to be the way that they're going to see it forward and say, well, actually, we knew we're going to fund anyway. We always know we're going to fund, but... um this just allows people to kind of pre-order it, and then we'll get it shipped out to you as kind of as quickly as possible. It's kind of an it's kind of an interesting time. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the review side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because still the little guys still kind of need. I guess they just need other people saying, "Listen, these other people think this game's okay. Please give us some money for it," which is always. Kind of strange. Well, I mean, if they partition out a pre-order system for the larger companies, I. I would think, and you know, I haven't heard about this before, but ideally, it would let the smaller Kickstarters actually get more view time, I suppose, at the the top of the listing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. which should be beneficial to both sides. So I don't. Know, it seems like a good idea. Kickstarters, well, the whole culture around Kickstarter is very odd to me. Anyways, <laughs> I, I do you back? I mean, do you back? Do you partake I've, yourself? Or I've backed. Gloomhaven and three Red Raven games, and I think that's it. I backed. Uh, I'm getting another copy of Sprawlopolis because I liked it so much. <laughs> I, I wanted the real copy. <laughs> I just don't want the production one. Send me the real, the real deal. Are you been playing Gloomhaven then? Oh yeah, yeah. I well in the 
in the my top I 100. Saw, yeah. I yeah, I wasn't going to spoil it. You know, don't oh because this is a drive to say people go to your site and see what your top your top 20 that you've just Gloomhaven may just... or may not be very high on my list. <laughs> And that was the sound of a thousand terrible things ruining what potentially could be in their top 20. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, well, we've been playing it. I'm I'm finally close to, somewhat close to retiring my character. Like, I've yeah. had the longest lasting character. Everyone else, well, there are four of us who kind of have been consistently playing most mm. of the time. And then two characters have been retired a while ago. One guy hasn't been playing much, but he's close to retiring. And then I'm like almost leveled up like all the way. And I just want to retire my guy already. I love him. But like (laughs) once you hit once you hit level nine, there's nowhere else really to go. And I don't want to sit there at level nine for a long time when I could be uh, exploring a new character. But yeah, it's Gloomhaven's amazing. Well, especially since we we hit was it 10 reputation and unlocked a new character and I look through it. And that character looks awesome, and I'm almost <laughs> certainly gonna once I want to retire and then take on this new character, which I won't spoil for people, but it looks really cool. I mean, with something like this, with something like Gloomhaven, is is one review enough for Gloomhaven? Because I'll I'll tell you why. Okay, I um, there's the there's obviously there's a video game phenomenon called Dark Souls, mm-hmm. and it was famous because one of the one of the magazines of the day called Edge Magazine, when it originally reviewed it, it kind of gave it a 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the time, everyone's like, well, this isn't anything special. Because years later, they then went back and said, we're going to re-review it. And they upgraded it to kind of like a 10, just based on the experience that you had. Mm-hmm. Now, with Gloomhaven being the beast that it is, do you think it's something that could warrant having several kind of review pieces, thought pieces kind of laid down because all I all I see I've I've seen reviews for it and they just say it's amazing it's like a board game you can fit your kids in <laughs> and I've I've seen that that's true though I, it could be used as a you know a carrying uh, yeah, device it's a, cri- it's a crib yeah. you know it can be used for hiding um hiding anything uh, dogs um you know I don't know anything <laughs> you wanted really um board games <laughs> have you been, other have you board games buying, have you been out buying more board games no Although if it, you'd have to like get rid of the Gloomhaven pieces, like it's a big box, but man, they they pack it in there. I, s- I remember seeing it, and so they said, "Let's see the Gloomhaven box." And I was like, "That's just lies. That's not. It's like one of the boxes you get for photocopy paper." Yeah, it's like that size. It's well, like that high. The problem is, I bought, I got an insert for it because the biggest problem with it, honestly, is setting up and putting it away. It takes forever. So I bought an insert. It, it's helped a little bit, but the inserts designed so you just kind of like put all your character stuff back in these little tuck boxes that they came in, which is annoying. We just put them all in, in baggies. Yeah. But since we've done that, the inserts designed to fill the whole box, and so there's no room for our character stuff. <laughs> so we literally we just store them on top of the box. There's this oh, huge good. box, and then like six different characters in baggies on top of it. Uh, there's nothing worse than that. Anyway, yeah, a game like that. What were we talking about? I have no idea. Oh, yeah, multiple no, multiple but, reviews. Yeah. No, but is it, you know is that is Gloomhaven something that you could you know I know you've like mentioned that you've got it somewhere in your top one hundred. 
<sighs> just ruined that somewhere. But <laughs> some, some maybe I'll go, gonna... maybe I'll go back and change it now. Maybe you should just to get people. <laughs> Number seven will make you cry. <laughs> um, but do you think something like Gloomhaven or even like Pandemic Legacy or you know any games like this kind of warrant a kind of a second visit once you've kind of played it? I mean, I thought was a. Charterstone as well. I saw there was a big buzz around Charterstone and everybody was going, Charterstone, it's amazing! But I've not seen kind of follow-up reviews to say, well, actually, how did you get on with the game? And I'd be interested to see that kind of thing for Gloomhaven because people are still going on about it's amazing. But I don't know if I've seen that. Maybe I've not been looking. But do you think that'd be an interesting thing to do? Yeah, that's what I plan to do, actually. I I reviewed it as a first impression after about 10 plays i think 10 10 yeah. games of gloomhaven and i think i if i remember correctly i opened it with like a statement has anyone ac- ever actually done a proper review of gloomhaven i don't know if it's possible yet uh because like i don't know where it's going like half of the cards we haven't even unlocked yet and now i'm like 25 to 30 games in but i plan on once i actually maybe not play everything but at least like complete the campaign i'm going to go back and do another review of it what what we're planning to do with pandemic legacy season two which we got like a month before gloomhaven so we played four games of it i think and then we got gloomhaven and it hasn't touched the table yet but after after each session we did a quick like 15 minute recording of our thoughts based on those one or two games of Pandemic Legacy. So once we pick that back up, there will be a podcast which spans months of time, but it'll be quick thoughts after each session of playing Pandemic Legacy, which, I don't know, could be interesting whenever we get around to finishing that. But with these kinds of campaign games, like, yeah, you can't give a full review really until you've finished or almost finished or gotten enough of it where you think you've seen the game kind of in its full fullest, but, but it's the impressions after a few plays are still incredibly valuable because if a game takes, you know, if one of these legacy or campaign games takes hours to get to the point where it's enjoyable, like that's important information to know. I know, a lot of people had that criticism about Seafall, which I haven't played, but yeah, it put I was me off of the say game. That, yeah. I, I don't yeah, really I was... have an interest in playing it now. Yeah, I was wondering if it is it a game that gets, kind of gets good towards the middle that you kind of build it up, and maybe its biggest criticism was it took that long for it to get going. Because mm-hmm. you can pick it up for stupid money. I think it's going for like 20 bucks I know, yeah. or something like that. It's really... And I've always been... T- you know, I've always been tempted to to just pick up to see what it's like and I've not played I've not played Pandemic Legacy I'd like to to give it a shot but my issue with all these type of legacy games is it's keeping a group together for a period of time and continuing to play it all the way through mm-hmm. I'd love to sit down and just sit down with somebody and just play it all the way through and just see how it plays but my concern about any legacy game is um there's that kind of like kind of level of commitment. I'd love to play Gloomhaven. Um, Colin's got Gloomhaven. He'd love to play Gloomhaven. Well, the good thing about but Gloomhaven is that it it's exceptionally good at drop in drop out support. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no problem with going in and playing a couple of games and then never playing again. It wouldn't it wouldn't mess anyone up. Mm-hmm. Pandemic mm-hmm. Legacy. I think in theory you could 
complete the whole game in a day. It'd be a long, like a full day of gaming. You could probably do it in a whole yeah. day. If you really wanted okay. to. <laughs> I could just imagine that being stressful <laughs> towards the end. I don't think, I don't know if you'd survive. Yeah. You'd end up with a big, there'd end up be some kind of big debate towards the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, from what I've kind of heard. I mean, what's the plans for yourself? I mean, with somebody, who, are you kind of happy to be kind of forging your own path and, and kind of looking at how criticism could be expanded in the industry? Or are you kind of thinking about, well, producing your own kind of game? bringing that to the table a little bit of everything uh so i mean the end goal always has been to get to a point where i can i can do this as like a career i'm i'm fortunate enough where i've been able to dedicate a full time to this project but i'm not you know i'm not making a living off of it yet but Mm. uh my wife's been very gracious to allow me to do do this as a project that i can kind of go full in on um, and so I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay, I need to build up enough momentum to see if I can make sure this is going to be a long-term thing, or do I need to go back and get a, another full-time job or maybe grab a part-time job to help, uh, help with money flow. So I'm, I'm going to do a big marketing push in a couple of weeks to try to get more patrons on Patreon and all that, but I want to go a little bit into game design. I have some design ideas. I'm going to try to submit three designs for the button shy contest uh, in a couple of weeks. Fortunately, those are, you know, 18 card games. So I I have some ideas. I've been working on them. I've been developing them. So maybe, you know, hopefully maybe I can get a design published based on one of those ideas. I want to transition more into video because that seems to be very popular um get more stuff on youtube and i don't just kind of get momentum in terms of the criticism but also try to get my foot in the door in in game design as well yeah yeah I'm, i'm bad about creating like very specific plans for the future my plans are all fairly nebulous because i just work better that way although i think it drives some people like my mom crazy (laughs) <laughs> um, but you've got to that's your job as a son you have to I mean that is under the job description yeah, yeah. driving your mum crazy it's yeah. you know so if you're doing that that, that kind of fulfills it yeah. yeah I don't I don't know I see people with stringent plans I see them getting frustrated and I see them getting stressed out because they've not hit their their goals or what they were wanting to do or where they're wanting to be by kind of certain time we're fairly kind of I don't know it's kind of like, I really enjoy doing this. Mm-hmm. And if somebody came along and said, I will give you more money for doing this, then I'd be happy. Um, have I made massive plans for what I'm doing? Am I constantly kind of on the schedule and stuff like that? Am I constantly thinking about where we're going to be in 18 months? Nah, not really. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> yeah. and I I kind of have to work that way. Um, yeah, the course. The biggest thing that, I've found throughout this process of doing the thoughtful gamer is that I have to leave myself flexibility to write or record the things that I'm able to write or record at that time. Um, I've, I've spoken a, a little bit on the podcast and such about my, my mental health struggles with depression and 
which has caused a lot of trouble in my life. And part of it is that I get into the spiral of thinking I need to like write this review and then I have a hard time writing that review and then that just spirals down into oh, yeah. you know, further pits of despair, which, you know, in some level I think a lot of people ex- experience that quite a bit. Uh, oh yeah, no, I things. think it constantly happens. I think the biggest battle on being uh, somebody involved in um, media and having, you know, what you call opinionated media, whether it be a podcast or whether it be kind of previews, reviews or whatever, is that um, it's very difficult to have, to work out what consistently is going to work um, in terms of you can put up one piece and people, I see people talk about this all the time. It's like, oh, I put up this piece and it got like 50 retweets and it got like 500 likes and I didn't particularly think it was any good, but I don't know, you know, I get confused because I didn't realise that was a good piece. I didn't think it was a good piece at the time. I didn't particularly enjoy writing that piece. But somehow there's a whole group of people that think this is the bee's knees and this is the thing you should be watching, reading, listening to kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you're involved in social media is that kind of love-hate relationship where you'll put like a, you know, we'll put an episode of the podcast out and then there'll be lots of interaction with different people kind of saying how much they enjoyed it or liked it. And then we'll put another episode which I'll think, well, this is a really, really interesting person. I'll be like, no, you're not. We're denying you that interaction this time. You're not getting that kind of interest. And sometimes you kind of like get wrapped up in it and then the other times you kind of like step away because you think, well, if I'm going to sit here and analyse, if I'm starting to analyse the number of people that press a heart button Mm -hmm. on on a flipping application that's too much i need to step away from that oh so yeah I, can, I used to have I, I used to constantly have my my stats page my podcast numbers and my website numbers up like on a tab and stupidly it took me months to realize that that was just a bad idea <laughs> to have access to that very easily yeah. at all times <laughs> no i told no i did, i mean i was the same i mean i think um i try and have fun with the stats i think what we do and people have probably seen it is we do like a we have like a top 10 of the top 10 of the episodes of the last 30 days. And because we do produce like so many episodes, it's like the last 30 days is usually everybody that's been on the show in the last month. But mm-hmm. you have like almost like a competition who's like number one currently and things like that. That's and fun. you kind of turn that into And it kind of turns it into fun. You do get people, <laughs> I do know of people that have actually taken it really seriously and have gone and hunted down and made sure that they had more down, more downloads than anybody else for a while, <laughs> um, which is always, always kind of good fun. But no, I think sometimes you need to step away from the stats. I think they, they find their own way to you. Yeah. You know, I think is if you're putting the stuff out there, you know, even as a, a podcaster, our numbers are our numbers increase, not always dramatically, but they kind of are steadily getting there. And I've not, I don't remember doing anything different than before. It's not like all of a sudden I'm kind of last week I was talking to the you know some guy, and then this week we've had Eric Lang on the show or something like that. It's not like we've got it's just steady mm-hmm. going on, and I kind of like that. Yeah, that's I what like I've seen. Like a little community, you know. Yeah, and and you always kind of hope in the back of your mind that something will really take off and go viral and all of a sudden you've like doubled your numbers or something but the thing I always I always heard when I was researching into this of doing podcasts or doing writing is the most important thing is consistency and you just got to keep at it without much and then you know it's been a steady increase over time and I assume 
that can gain momentum. But the cool thing, because I'm terrible at marketing myself, like you, you know, you you heard with the Gloomhaven thing, like I yeah. lost some viewers there or listeners there, or whatever. But I don't like doing a lot of social media. I'm bad at it. I don't. I find it kind of dirty. It feels weird, and so I do. <laughs> I run through the streets of social media naked, Mark, real quick. <laughs> you know, you're talking about biggest successes and going viral. I was in that situation where a completely innocuous tweet that I put out there that I've kept putting to my profile. I wasn't proud of it about pizza and board games. It kind of <laughs> all of a sudden decided to take off and it's like got something like about 250 odd retweets and about 900 likes. Oh, and man. I was like, I have so much better content for you than that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah and i was like oh i can't believe it but yeah anyway I I, i'm really bad at it so my strategy all along has been okay i'll try to kind of organically build up a community and people that kind of through word of mouth find find out about the thoughtful gamer and it seems to be working well like all the patrons yeah. i've gotten which you know isn't a whole lot but they've we have a really nice discord and we chat and we tend to have similar game preferences and we rave about spirit island you know once a week and uh we have we have a good time you know it seems to i haven't had the experience with like a troll coming in or something or someone you know a bunch of bad comments or like people getting mad at me on twitters because i I try to keep it kind of low-key and just kind of naturally organically grow the community yeah you see the problem is if i opened the discord i would probably be the troll (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would probably be the one creating trouble just like messing things up and stuff like that you know because sometimes you can be serious and sometimes you blow raspberries in people's faces and run away because it's fun <laughs> um, but where I mean where can people find you on the internet webs sir uh, thethoughtfulgamer.com that's where everything's posted uh, if you look up the thoughtful gamer in whatever podcast service you you use, you can find the podcast okay. there. But everything get, and ultimately ends up getting posted at thethoughtfulgamer.com. Okay. I have got one last question for you. All right. The zombie apocalypse has arrived. <laughs> and you run up the street looking for shelter as the grey rotting flesh of the the masses of brain-hungry individuals chase after you in a shambling mob. You run up an alleyway where you head to a flickering light which appears to be an actual open door and you burst through the door, sweating but slightly relieved and slam the door behind you and notice satisfactorily that it locks itself. You turn around and you stumble forward and you brush your hand against the wall and flick a light switch and turn it on and watch for a second as the room is bathed in a halo of light and in the you appear to have stepped into the one of the largest board game emporiums ever. Now it's got every type of board game, whether it be first edition, second edition, reprints, new ones, old ones, anything you um anything anybody could ever desire with regards to cardboard. In the middle of the floor, there appears to be one of those classic kind of trolley carts that you see where it's got a black handle, it's red, and it's got four four trundle wheels. The wheels appear to be 
inflatable tires as opposed to the kind of like the hard plastic that you used to see as a child. You have a choice of taking three board games with you to stumble off into the darkness, safe in the knowledge that if you bump into individuals or groups or communities that the answer to the question, would you like to play a board game, is always going to be yes. What three games do you take with you, Mark? Do are, are are expansions included in this? Anything at all. This thing has this 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 emporium is an emporium. It has anything you require, anything you would ever want. Hmm. But you have to hurry. Oh, I gotta. Zombies have a, so I I, I can't sit to, here and overthink it then. No, you can't <laughs> overthink it. This is the time you have to be the quick thinking gamer. Um. Twilight Imperium. Okay. Net- the newest version? Uh, let's go with third edition, both expansions, because that okay. kind of subsumes it and adds more stuff. Okay. Netrunner. Assuming, I can, assuming I can take all of Netrunner. Well, all fits in the box, so it's fine, you know. And... Oh, this is hard. There's banging on the windows, Mark. Tinkle of glass. What about what about? Th- could we include the theoretical future expansions of games that I know will be expanded? You can have anything you want. This is in the future. I'm gonna go. I'm want? gonna. I'm gonna go Spirit Island. Okay, that's fine. There we go. That's fine. It's hard to put them in the t- hard to leave off the resistance. There you go. Well, you put them in a trolley, you run off, and you live happily ever after. Well, you eventually snag your leg on a nail and die of tetanus, but that's a different story. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for coming on. This has been... Well, thank you, yeah. This has been very interesting and very fun. Um, what we'll do is we'll make sure that we put all the links to your stuff in the show notes. Mm-hmm so that we have notes to show um, for people that want to keep an eye on what we're up to, thank you very very much for continuing to to listen and download and subscribe and everything like that, we really really appreciate it and uh, we got a new patron during the week we don't like to talk about it because we get shy and embarrassed but thank you very much Tom for joining our small but steadily growing family which is really strange thing to say um, but if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to go to internets Search We Are Not Wizards. You'll find us on um, Twitter and we're on Instagram because we take photos because we're shameless and beautiful. Um, And Facebook. And we're on YouTube. And we're on all different types of other places. You can find us on like Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Podknife and Player FM and all these wonderful places you can get your podcasts. If you drop us a little rating that would be fantastic on the podcast catcher of your choice. If you want to do us an even bigger favour than that, as we say um, jump onto Apple Podcasts and drop us a subscription because it makes us smile Um, and even consider giving us a rating or review and as we say, if you are going to give us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big headed and I'm annoying as it is but don't give us one star because it makes us cry, and I am an ugly crier. But give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. 
we're decidedly average. The person who's not been average tonight is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic. He's thinking about things just now, I can tell. It's Mr. Mark Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on the podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. No, I am, um, you know, we try our best. I, um, I, love, really more... I love the relaxed style. I, I feel like I'm doing my own podcast. There you go. Um, well, we do, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't do any work at all. This is oh, yeah. the best guy in the world, you know. I was just having a chat and I just happened to be pressing record at the same time and eventually synchronized it as well. Um, there are only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Mark? Honestly, I'm a little shocked. I thought you were a wizard. No. Oh, okay. No, nothing. There's nothing in anywhere that suggests I'm a wizard. I know there's been continual rumors appear to be flying. I'd like to deny them wholeheartedly. You can check all across the content. You will not see one mention of me being a wizard. I don't know. I'm I'm getting a a wizardy vibe. Don't even stop. I can edit out this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I see you too threaten the editing <laughs> scalpel to the people you're on podcasts with. I, I do, and then I edit out to make it appear that I'm kind of gentle and mild-mannered and helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Mark. Say goodbye, Mark. Goodbye, Mark. Every time. Every single time. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and um, yes, reviews are important. And previews are important, but most importantly, criticism is important. And um, you don't always just want to know how a game plays. You maybe sometimes want to know why you should be playing a game as well. So um, if you are wanting somebody else to do your thinking and you want somebody a little bit more thoughtful, then check out The Thoughtful Gamer. But until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>